Hey everyone, I'm your host, Alex Taylor, co-founder of Parallel. Welcome to Parallel Lives, a podcast where we learn about the tireless yet vibrantly challenging role the women we admire most live in parallel to their careers and personal pursuits, becoming and being a mom. Today's guest is Stephanie Kramer. She is the Chief Human Resources Officer at L'Oreal, a mom of two and the author of the new book, Carrie Strong. She had her first son while working at Chanel and her second while she was at Kiehl's. After looking back on her journey, she wanted to create a resource that could empower and support other women navigating their careers while also starting families. The book includes original research, expert advice, and real-life stories from Olympic athletes, CEOs, and hundreds of amazing mothers across the country who outline the answers to some of the most surprising, challenging, and even nuanced questions and situations that arise while navigating pregnancy and work. I cannot emphasize enough what a hugely important read it is and how much I wish I had this book when I was thinking about getting pregnant or just navigating my own journey. Today, we discussed Stephanie's experience and how it shaped the book, and we even answered some of your most pressing questions as it relates to pregnancy and work. This is such a helpful episode, not only for those of you who are thinking about getting pregnant and trying to reconcile how that fits in with work, but also for any of you who are currently pregnant, but also any of you who are about to return from maternity leave or have just recently returned, she's full of incredible advice that's really tactical and will help you better approach managing motherhood and your career. I hope you enjoy the show. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here today. I am So excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I'm so, so happy to be here today. You have such an incredible story and such a wealth of knowledge to share with our community. So let's dive in. Let's start at the very beginning before you wrote this incredible book, before you became a mom. What were you, what were you doing in life? (laughs) So it's, it's really interesting. This weekend, I was preparing for a talk I'm going to give on Thursday. And I was making a timeline as part of the part of the talk. And I'm showing this timeline. And it's been about 10 years from pre mom until the launch of this book. So my oldest son is about to be nine. He's definitely eight, because I can't I'm not ready for that yet. But it's been almost 10 years from when I first you know, started thinking about it. And of course, long before that as well. So my story begins both for the book and with motherhood at thinking, of course, that will happen. Like it was always something I definitely wanted. You know, I definitely wanted a career and all of these pieces, but I knew I wanted to be a mom. It was like an inherent something. And I love from all of the stories that you've been sharing at Parallel, like two things are true the entire time for me. But it wasn't until um, my first year after I got married to my husband, he had done the New York City Ironman race. And unfortunately, um, due to hyponatremia, ended up in the hospital. And I remember, and the story is in the book, and it's, it's a tough one, but I remember the direction I was sitting, where I was looking out a window when the doctor said to me, like, do you have children? And no. And the answer was, it's a good thing you don't. And I remember that shock to my system. So that was like, okay, rocked number one. No, this is, of course, this is going to happen. This is, if I just work harder, if I do this, then I will have this for my career. I will have this for my life. And that was a big, big moment. And lots of time passed. And of course, you know, I'm incredibly grateful that, you know, with the right medical care and team around us, my husband made a recovery. And then, you know, a year plus later, 
we were cleared to, to try to have children. And it was like, okay, we've made through this tunnel. Now it's time. This is going to be the light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to have our kids, like we have our marriage, you know, I'm feeling good about work, all of these other things that happen in our lives. And this, this is it. And, um, unfortunately suffered a, a miscarriage, which, you know, people now we're talking about it a little bit more, but again, we're going back 10 years, just starting to be something where you might've heard in whispers or from your closest friends, or you knew it was possible, but could this really happen to you? And it was only after a, a close friend of mine had shared that with me that I even had that little bit of not feeling alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and where, where were you in your career at this point yeah. when you were navigating loss or even just at the precipice of thinking about, I'm going to start a family now, what, what was happening professionally for you? So well, I had sh- switched jobs. So I, I worked at L'Oreal. I've worked at L'Oreal twice. So I was at L'Oreal and then I went to Chanel. And so, you know, when you move to a new job, um, you kind of want to be set up for success and stable. And I had this new marriage. And so I thought everything would work out, you know, the timelines would all line up, but it was like, all right, I'll be there for about a year. You know, we'll be married for about a year. This is when this is all going to happen. So, you know, I, I had felt good where I was, but also I'd just gone through this kind of major personal unanticipated milestone with my husband. And so for me, it was like, all right, work is in a good place. Now's a good time. Um, but I didn't then anticipate, of course, what would happen after that, uh, and that it would take more time and that you would have this this feeling of heaviness, something very personal and very private to you know, something so big. And you mentioned you had a loss during this time. What did you do? Did you show up to work the next day? How did you manage that? Um, it was really tough. And I didn't know what I didn't know what to do, frankly. And it's one of the reasons the biggest impetus is for writing the book is I remember the moment that that happened to me and thinking, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I, I knew I would call a friend. I knew I would call my mom, um, but I didn't know how to navigate that at work. When you miscarry, oftentimes it's so early in the process or typically at a point where maybe you haven't socialized yeah. that to your employer, or even your family or friends yet. So there's also this awkwardness because you you know, you crave a bit of privacy. So how did you approach that? Yeah. So I, I think how I approached it and what I would give as advice now are probably two different things. So for myself, I completely closed in and I needed that. I think I didn't anticipate it. And after so much heaviness of the year before, I wasn't ready to share. And I hadn't shared really with anyone because when I had that first appointment, the the doctor had said this is a very low possibility, but there was still a chance. So I was holding on to so much hope that I, I just kept it very private, kept it very secret so that when it actually happened, I had been dealing with that for some time, but I hadn't shared it very far. And I remember actually in that moment and late in the, my first trimester telling my mom, you know, and I'm super close to my mom, but to say I had good news and now I don't. And I still can like hear myself saying that. But I feel like now what I often say to people is, what do you need right now? So even if you're communicating at work, I didn't have to necessarily call my boss and be like, hey, I'm not coming back to work tomorrow. I had a miscarriage. I could have said, I'm going through something personal and I need some space right now. Whatever that may be for that specific instance, like we have this coming up or I'm just not available at all. There are different ways that you can navigate that. You know, we think about major medical emergencies or other very personal topics. You know, you don't have to share everything. It's what do you need to share? Who do you need to share it with? You know, I use the the five W's uh, in the book as advice. But sometimes you just need a frame in order to have that, that navigation between something very private and, and also that you need to communicate. Yeah. And will you talk us through those five W's? So first of all, who? 
you know, if you're going through a pregnancy loss uh, or you're experiencing something difficult, it also goes with infertility or it goes with other challenges or, by the way, even just regular appointments um, or anticipating, you know, all the things that we do as we become a parent. It's who do you need to tell? So that might be a direct manager. That might need, need to be your boss. You know, we often see the question you Google is how to tell my boss I'm pregnant. But it could yeah. be an HR person. It could be a team member. It could be someone that you just need to have a little moment, you know. So who? Then what do you need to tell them? Do you need to tell them, hey, I'm going to be out for some appointments? Or do you need to say, uh, I'm dealing with something personal and I need this space right now? Then the, the when and where Sometimes it's urgent. You know, sometimes it's right now. Like, I need to talk to you right now. There's this thing that's happening to me. It's affecting my day to day. I can't get out of my house. You know, that's the okay, there's an urgency in the when. Or maybe this is something that's you're anticipating that you're about to go through a fertility journey. And maybe that's where you're having it in a regular one of your touch points with your boss or with a teammate or with your HR or whoever you have around you that you're saying, oh, there's one more topic I'd like to talk about that I'm going through something and I'm going to need X. Y, Z, where again, with that urgency, it might be a, it might be a phone call, it might be an in-person meeting. It's however that makes you feel comfortable in that moment, but also based off of the urgency that you may have or what you can anticipate and what you can't, which we know is so many things. And the last part that's super important is why. So why, why do you need to tell the who, what, when, where? It's why, because you need it for your comfort, for your confidence, because physically you're not there, because you need help. You know, what are you asking for? I think that's a really important consideration is often it's nothing. So I remember like being like, well, why do I really have to share this if I don't need anything right now? Or if it's just that I need some space, that's fine. But other times, you know, if you're going through HG for weeks on weeks and end, you might need to be like, hey, I actually need some support on this project, or I need you to help me focus the priorities, or I just want you to be aware and we need to decide how we want to communicate in the interim. But if you break it down to those really simple questions, sometimes even the heaviest topics can become a little bit lighter, even if it's just for in that moment, and you revisit it again and again as you need it. It's incredible how you're empowering women with a new set of communication skills around a really sensitive, blurry time in our lives where there really is no rule book. You know, women really came into the workplace relatively recently when you think about the level with which, you know, we're, we're operating in some organizations like yourself and there's no playbook. And that's why this book is going to be tremendous and a huge, huge touchstone for women everywhere. So let's go back to where we were in your story. You miscarried, you were at Chanel, you were kind of figuring out how you're going to tell them that you needed support. What happened next? Well, there was uh, another very pivotal moment that I'm sure that many listeners will will have, um, unfortunately, also probably have too. And it was uh, it was Halloween, and it's when it was amazing. Actually, it was such an awesome place, by the way, to be a parent and to work in a tremendous environment to be. But everyone brought their kids into the office, and I had to leave. And I remember like leaving the office, going around the other side where I knew I wouldn't see anyone and just breaking down. And it wasn't about, you know, this, the, the joy and the fun and the FOMO or whatever. It was that hiding that how much I was hiding and what I was carrying. And I think for me, I then later many moments in say, you know, behind closed doors would be mentoring people. And I'd be like, this is okay. This is all right for you to have both of these things where 
yes, you know, you, this is what you want someday, but also I can't be here right now. And I remember coming back into the office and going into a, a now still very close friend's office and closing the door and just saying like, Hey, this happened. I need a minute. I need your help. Um, and from that point on, I felt like I had this ally that I really wish I would have had so much before that, but it took that impetus of uh, trigger that really, um, helped me from that point. However, that still meant that when I did get pregnant with William, I kept it a secret until I was like 20 something plus weeks. Um, cause I just wasn't ready to share. And then I remember like that day, you know, I was like, I'm going to, this is, this is, you know, I'm going to wear this tight shirt. I'm going to walk into the office and everyone, I'm going to be like radiating like, yes. And it was good <laughs> in a moment. It was like, yes. Okay. I made it through all these hurdles and I'm here and look at this. And this is my like prize. I'm so proud. But that night, I actually had a total meltdown. It's like, oh, my God, everyone was asking me all these questions. So when are you going on maternity leave? Are you going to still do this project? You know, what does this person think about that? And you're like, no, I thought about this, but I wasn't ready to answer. All and it wasn't coming from a bad place. It's just that all of a sudden, when you have go from private pregnancy to public pregnancy, everyone's in your business. And that's very different than anything else private you're going through, which is why I think oh, yeah. that pregnancy, physical pregnancy is such a big moment for so many women. It's not like you can't hide that. I mean, there's a no, lot that we have to no, hide, but um, you can't. Yeah, that was a big moment. Huge moment. And I, I can relate deeply to that overwhelm. I have so many questions for you. The first was just pulling back. Were you, were you at all concerned about starting a family and pregnancy impacting your ability to continue to nurture your career? Yes, something so many ask me about and wonder about. And there's this fear. And I even remember being at really what I thought was the peak of my career. And I knew I always wanted kids, but I had this moment where I was like, wait, but is it, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep growing or keep doing what I'm doing. How did you manage that? I had a friend that I went to visit in the UK. And I remember sitting with her, sitting across from her with her daughter on my lap. And she said to me, uh, so what are you, this is before, um, before my husband's accident, she said, so when are you going to try to get pregnant? And I was like, well, I want to do this. And then I want to get promoted. And then I have this project and all these things. And she said, Stephanie, you realize that you have like 40 years ahead of you to work. And how many years ahead of you do you have to have kids? And that stuck with me so profoundly, only because I kept thinking like, there's always going to be a what's next. So yes, you know, when people come to me and it's like, yeah, you want to feel comfortable. You want to feel comfortable in in what you're doing in your career in that moment, but you don't have to do everything. It doesn't stop. And what I love, what you're talking about in parallel and what it's really important to me in the book and even on the cover, there's two lines. Just because you're like, this doesn't stop. You know, I think that, by the way, becoming a mom made me better in my career and probably accelerated Agreed. the lines even more so. But I think our, our perception before is that you have to do all of this and then that line stops and then this line happens and then this line stops. It's like, no, it's concurrent. You know, it's really important. I think a lot of women are worried that it's going to stifle their growth. You know, I do have friends that are at larger corporations and they're worried about getting pregnant the first time or even the second time because they won't be considered for that promotion. Um, or they have to go on maternity leave and it takes away from time that they could be growing. And it's a very real conversation. And I agree, once you're on the other side of it, you have that perspective. But also, how can we better protect ourselves professionally before we do leave the workforce, whether it be for a short period for maternity leave or maybe for a, a, a small kind of 
stint to focus on being a mom. Like, I, I think that's something that women really worry about. Yeah, there's and there's more than one option. And I feel like that's something, too, is that people feel like they're forced into making one deliberate choice. And so for me, with the book and speaking to so many women, is that there's so many different options. We just need to overall make sure that those options exist at different places of work, um, different ways that we work, but also demonstrate that the concurrent nature is okay, too. So I feel like for me, it's been really important to, you know, where I work now, demonstrate it, but also that there's a lot of different options at other different types of places of work that that fits in how you make your decision. Um, so that's, I think, a really a different headspace than feeling like you only have one choice to make is by making different choices. Yeah. So are you saying, though, that it's really a byproduct of seeing women in leadership showcasing that you can prioritize family and still come back and nurture and build your career? Or what does that look like? I think that it's it's different for everyone in terms of what you want. So your balance is going to be different than my balance. You know, what I want for my career might be different than someone else wants. And they're all in different moments. Like there's a, a great example in the book um, from Dr. Molly McNary. She talks about the seasons, you know, and seasons of your career and how you want to navigate that. But also if you want to have the concurrent full force, that's all right also. But it's the systems have to exist and the companies have to exist with options for us to do that, whether it's making sure that there's places of work with flexibility or with paid maternity leave or as an entrepreneur, what's the system that you need to have around you that allows you to have the time you need or you don't need. Um, but it's there's there's a lot to consider and I feel like it's not one size fits all. Now, I'm reflecting on a friend who works at a large organization and she's been struggling with the idea of having a second because she's worried she won't get that promotion. Mm-hmm. How would someone, I, I feel this is a very common situation for women. And is there, like, what would you recommend to someone like that? Is it about having a very transparent conversation with your manager or what, what can you do? So one thing that I tell people is considered if you weren't pregnant. So, you know, to your friend, I would say, so are you on track? Is that a plan? Like, is that something you've already discussed with your manager? And what is that implication otherwise? Because so I think that taking that part out of it, yes, there's the timing consideration. Yes, you have the fear of perception, which is a very valid and real perception change. But how can you approach that conversation if those those two things are separate, Um, which I have found to be super helpful? And in fact, if you feel like you're getting to that point where, okay, if I wasn't on maternity leave, I would have gotten promoted some places of work. If you anticipate that it still can happen. Other places that might be, hey, you actually didn't get all of these things done. Fair. But when you come back, this is where we've assessed you are. And then we will revisit it again together. So I think it's really important to separate them out. Often I feel like people come to me for advice with a sense of urgency. Like I need to get promoted because I want to get pregnant. And I'm like, okay, but where are you in that promotion? Like, let's be honest between, you know, where we are at work and where we are with where you are um, and why and when and how. And at the end of the day, it's yes, it has an impact. Yes, there's that perception part that's totally heavy and hard and you need to navigate. But with a good manager, you can already be having those conversations that's separate um, from the conversation about your pregnancy. Yeah. I do think it, there's an added layer of complexity though when your manager is a man. 
and, you know, and it is part of the conversation, um, or even telling your boss that you're pregnant, um, especially if they are a different gender. I know that can be challenging. I've heard that from a lot of friends. Let's go back to you telling your boss while you were at Chanel that you were pregnant and that first day back. And let's kind of unpack this a little bit. Sure. Well, I think one thing that's really interesting is regardless of gender, people have different communication styles. So, you know, for me, I'm I'm pretty direct. So I would, you know, hey, I need to tell you something. I'm pregnant. This is what it means. It means that nothing is going to change unless I tell you that, you know, there's some kind of, which there was, by the way, for me at the end of my pregnancy, medical needs, why I can't be here, why I need to have different appointments. So understanding your communication preferences, but also who you're communicating to is really important. Because in that same example, if I came to someone and I said, I have something really private, it's really important. This is a big deal for me. I'm not ready to share too much. And if I was met with, amazing, this is fantastic. What are we going to do next? And you're like, no, no, no. Like, we're going to take this one step at a time. So you have to kind of meet each other where they are, or that's the goal. And that's why for me with the book, it's a combination of empowering the person, the birthing person, but it's also about visibility to a bigger group to follow her lead in terms of that communication preference. So for me, it was very fortunate. You know, I took my direct approach. This is what it means. And then my boss was super positive and enthusiastic. Um, but it was also like, okay, so this is what it means for these different touch points and when we'll come together and, and discuss it. But I feel like you know, it depends on the person you're communicating to. It might be better to give them information in bite-sized pieces. It might be like, a, what this means for me is this, what this means for you is why, which can be really mm -hmm. helpful. Got it. You described earlier this paralysis you had for a moment before you went back into the office that first day about, oh, wait a minute, there's going to be all of these questions. Did you feel like you had to have all of those answers figured out before you opened up and shared the news with your team? Or how did you approach that piece? Because again, that's something else that goes through everyone's mind. Yeah, well, I think I anticipated a lot of the questions, but I did not anticipate how that would make me feel. So another example, I remember it's sometime around the same day or within a couple of days, I saw this super inspiring speaker. And all of a sudden I thought, I'm not going to be able to do all these things this person is talking about because now I'm pregnant. And I went home and I remember calling my mom and saying, you can't tell anyone else I'm pregnant. And she was like, this is now public. This is fine. Like, this is good. This is a good thing. I was like, nope, I don't want anyone else to know. And I just remember like closing in again on myself in this moment. I just needed the pause. Eventually I was like walking down the street and like people, you know, saying hello and rubbing your yeah. belly. That's all good. And I was super <laughs> excited at the end. I yes. could not be more thrilled. But that tension, you can anticipate all those questions, but you do not know how it's going to make you feel. And what I encourage women often to do is like plan for that, not plan for the feeling, but plan for that you might not know how you feel. It's the same thing even when you're anticipating return to work, you're going to say, okay, this is how it's going to work and this is how I'm going to feel and this is what I want. You have no idea, but you can start to think about it so it doesn't feel totally foreign um, as a topic. And that's why for me, with the book, I tried to put out there a lot of those stories. So even if you don't feel that way, you know that that's valid to have those feelings. Yeah. Yeah. That's very powerful. So after you've told your team that you're pregnant, 
fast forward, you mentioned that you had some complications towards the end of your pregnancy. Uh, tell us a little bit about that piece of the journey and how you approached that, especially knowing that you were likely going to take a maternity leave. Did you take some time off after baby was born? Yes, I was very fortunate to have a, a paid maternity leave at both of my companies, which for me, I take as a tremendous privilege. And I think it's a, it's a whole nother topic, but obviously oh, gosh. different yes. headspace it's for me. So so two things. One is at the very end of my um, end of my pregnancy, I did something that I don't recommend, but it's a pretty funny story. So I decided that I would make a countdown calendar or count up to my return for my team. So when I wasn't there, oh, wow. they had 12 envelopes because it's 12 weeks at the time. They had 12 envelopes that would be like, you know, I don't know, like I remember giving them like frozen yogurt cards one week and like other things. It was like, remember that this week you have this event on the calendar. Like I... Uh -huh. They did not need that, but I did. So <laughs> I was just, I don't know if it was a combination of wanting to be missed or having FOMO or just trying to say like, I'm still here. Um, and by the way, I had a great team and I really loved them. So I think it was just like a cool thing, but I literally made these envelopes and I did it also for my, my second pregnancy too. So that was one. The second is that I had cholestasis of pregnancy, which causes a very weird symptom, which is like itchy hands and feet. It's a liver function issue. And it's not very common. And I remember like towards the end of my pregnancy being like, there's something weird. And I Googled it, which as you know, we all do. So I went to my doctor and she was like, all right, well, we'll run the blood test since you think, because it's a, um, it's something that you can't see. It's not like you get a rash. You just have this sensation. So, all right. So that all happens. I go back to my desk, I think the next day and I am at lunch with my boss because I had asked, I did some things right. Not everything. I did some things right. I had asked my boss for a final lunch. Like this was a celebration. How I like always do this with teams. I think it's so special. It was one-on-one, -on -one. you know, it reassured me. So she took me out to lunch and I looked at my phone when I got back to my desk and I had like 18 missed calls. All right, doctor, 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 my husband, my husband, my assistant, well, oh, wow. team member doctor, doctor. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then I looked at the text and it said, Stephanie, it's your doctor. It's time to have a baby. So I went into my office, which by the way was glass. So I closed the door, called her back and she said, your levels are elevated. You're right. We, you have this issue. It's time to have a baby right now. And I looked across at one of my teammates and I unclicked my laptop and I put it in my bag and I just walked out of the building, called my husband who had been on his way. We lived in Manhattan on his way to Brooklyn. And he was like in a, about to go through a tunnel. He jumped out of the car he was in and he met me on the street and we went to the hospital and I was induced that day. So the first one, then later I knew to watch for this. It reoccurred um, later and it was throughout wow. the end of my pregnancy. Okay. I had to manage it in a different way. But that was that was my first child was uh, wow. bio levels are elevated time to go right now. And that's what happened. Wow. So I had very abrupt, my water didn't break at the office, like in a movie, but it definitely was a grabbed my computer and ran thrown it. into it. And tell us a little bit about how you approached your leave and communicating that with your team. Were you managing a team at the time? I was. So because this was more abrupt and it was around 37, so it was at the end, I'd kind of started to do those planning things where, okay, you'll go to this person for this, or I'd work, I'd talk through it with my boss of, all right, in my absence, this is the different projects and how it's structured and how it will all happen. And again, it, it wasn't for that much time. Um, I still, still am very thrilled the way that the paid maternity leave tenures have evolved, not necessarily the availability of them. Um, but 
I think that it was it was good. You know, it was okay. It was kind of planned that I would leave and I would come back into the same job, which is also a consideration that a lot of women have is that, am I going to have my maternity leave and come back into what I'm doing now? So that was the plan. So that's, and that's what happened. So relatively smooth on that side. I did though decide that I would have very minimal communication. So of course I let my team know, I know I sent the picture, the congratulations, but otherwise um, I did really respect the boundaries of maternity leave for me within those weeks that were there. Were you worried though about, you know, if you are a manager and you have a team that follows your lead how did you handle decision-making? Did you have a boss who stepped in? Did you have someone on your team step up? I think the logistics can be really confusing for people. It's often a combination of both. And for me, it was a relatively small team. And that's what happened. My boss stepped up, the team member stepped up, everyone kind of did the the uh, spread coverage for it. But often what I've heard from a lot of people is it can be a lot of different things. Sometimes you have kind of an, an obvious number two, and that's a moment for you to help to elevate them. That actually happened with my second pregnancy, I had two people where it was like, all right, in my absence, going to be these two, let me set you up for success. And then when we came back, it was even discussion of like, all right, you did a great job on that. Maybe that's something you should be doing instead of me. And so if you do that in advance, even just a little bit, you're helping to kind of ease that. And even with some communication of looping them in already into projects or um, other ways of doing like a proper offboarding, it's hard to anticipate that because, you know, the end of pregnancy, you don't know exactly when it's going to end. But the more transparent you can be with your team, the less your expectation is on them for them to pick something up. And the more that it's a partnership for both of you going forward. And it's very normal. So I feel like I also think it's really important for people to not treat it as um, an expectation on either side, but more like this is a normal thing. So let's figure out how we're going to do it together. Mm-hmm. What are some of the protections that pregnant women can expect yeah. in the workplace? Well, we have, I mean, there is job protection, which is essential. And also, you know, you don't have to express that you're pregnant in the first place. So there's the communication expectation and also job protection fairness. Meaning that meaning that you cannot be let go of because of your pregnancy. Correct. There's this non-discrimination. Okay. Correct. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think there's a perception, though, that many women are afraid they will be let go once they say that they're pregnant. So it's good to know that legally you can't be fired because you're pregnant. Correct. You can't be fired because you're pregnant. However, what a lot of women share is that how will your role shift or what will happen in your absence? And I think there's some gray area there that's important to have those conversations very open because in fact, some people's roles, you might not be able to just hold it where it is. It may need to evolve in order for the the organizations that you're part of to continue in your absence. But you do need to have that balance where it's also the protection for the person who's not there. So there's kind of the combination of the two. Got it. Got it. Anything else that our listeners should be aware of in terms of what they're kind of entitled to in terms of rights or protection during this time, whether it be uh, while they're pregnant or even returning to work? And even also, how do you approach that if your job has changed while you've been gone? For your second question, there is part of it also about if you want to breastfeed. So anticipating and understanding where and how you will be able to do that and making sure that you understand that that is your right. Um, So both in terms of your job protection, but that also is your right. And understanding that I think is a really important consideration for work. 
And I think that that's something that's often very heavy on women's minds and how to navigate that and what you are able to have as a guarantee. So I think anything that you're questioning, make sure that you ask those questions before. So before, by the way, it could even be before you're pregnant, but before you have your maternity leave, get those answers so that you know, and if you feel like something isn't right, um, that now's the time to do that versus having to deal with that when you're on the other side of it. I think it's really important. And you'll see in the book too, some of those considerations, like I, I encourage women to do a walkthrough. So, you know, a visualization of when you're going on maternity leave, what would that be like to come back into work? And by the way, it could be a physical workplace or it could also be virtual, but what are those steps along the day? What's important to you? So what do you have or what do you want in place as far as childcare? Flexibility with regards to hours. How do you want to communicate that? How do you want to revisit it after a certain amount of time? Where are you going to pump if you want to? How will that be stored? Those type of points to just walk through your day to day will help you understand what you want to ask for and what you need. Yeah, that's great. And I think also we don't know a lot of those questions because we haven't been there. You know, maybe new moms don't even really think about the feeding journey that ensues after baby arrives and how that intersects with, you know, onboarding back to work. So this book is tremendously helpful in that regard too, and just giving women more foresight as to what some of those questions might be that arise. So when you returned to work after your first, what was that experience like? And what can you share from that experience that might help some of our listeners who might be considering going back to work soon? Sure. Well, it's interesting because I jumped a little bit to the the breastfeeding example, because for me, that was like a big one. I wasn't sure I was going to work. I knew I thought it was a good idea. I was okay if it wasn't, but I wanted to try. And I remember being like, but where will this happen? And actually had the discussion with my big belly, with my team who put a better lock on the door and now it still exists and all these things. And it was just because someone had to ask. There was no hesitation. Of course, you know, there was a private place, et cetera, but it was like, this is what I really need. And in fact, when I'm advocating for myself, I'm advocating for a lot of other people. So when I returned to work, I remember having a backpack and it was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I also, I didn't live super far from the office. I decided that I would run literally with a backpack <laughs> with my milk in it because I would get my exercise. This is unfortunately the type of person I am on everything, but I'm going to run <laughs> home. I'm going to able to be home earlier. I'm still going to get my exercise and I'm going to have this backpack in. Now, the funny story is that I worked in a really beautiful office building in New York for a very beautiful company with a lot of amazing humans. And I put on my running stuff at the end of maybe the first couple weeks of returning to work, because this is how I was going to find balance, by the way. And I get into the elevator with some of our most senior executives, and I did not need to say anything. I could have just smiled in my gym clothes with my backpack on and just like acknowledge them. And instead, I was like, hi, I just came back from work. I have my milk in my backpack and I'm running home. Like, And they looked at me like, what? <laughs> with two heads. Good. What's good happening for here? you? Good for, that's, that's fantastic. But I felt this need to like disclose all of these things that were happening to me. But anyway, I share that with, with people just because I think it's important. Whatever you need for you, you make it work and you're going to readjust it over and over again. So what I needed within those first couple weeks, and I felt like, you know, I planned the outfits in advance and I would have the set schedule and I would have these days. Then after a couple of weeks, you're like, that is just not going to work. And then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks later, and I'm running home with a backpack um, full of milk. Which oh, my God. Work, I'm though. tired just hearing that. <laughs> so 
once you were a bit more situated after that, it sounds like this was kind of a testing period. Did you start finding a balance with work and how that fit into life as a mom? Or tell us a little bit about that acclimation, because I don't think there's anything that can genuinely prepare us for the magnitude of what we're going through at home, child rearing, all the responsibilities that come with it, in addition to having a a very full career life. Um, What was that like for you? I mean, I think it's exactly as you said, you can't anticipate it. But I do remember having to think about what I really cared about. So for example, was it okay for someone else, I had an amazing caregiver, a nanny, she was amazing and was able to say, okay, I'm okay for them to do specific play date or go on the playground or do these special things together. Would I want to be there? Yes. But also, do I love my job? Yes. So, okay, I'm okay with these things. But there were other things that I didn't think about that I really cared. So like buying shoes, buying that first pair of shoes. I remember getting a text message of a photo with these shoes on William's feet. And I was a mess. I was totally fine with all of these other things that were happening. I was prioritizing the moments being home. It was really important for me to do, you know, bath, like, you know, you pick the things that matter, but sometimes you forget about some of these other ones. So the lesson for me was, all right, I need to make sure, let me think about what are those really specific moments that are most important for me. And otherwise I had to let it go. And there were going to be work things that were like that too, where I was going to miss out on some things. And instead of constantly worrying about FOMO, I have totally had a mindset shift and it still, it still exists for me today, very much so in my kind of work and all of the other stuff that I have is that I use Como, so certainty of missing out. So instead of always having this this. fear where you feel like I'm always missing something or I'm always out of balance, instead it's like, no, no, I am certainly not going to be there for this. I am physically in another state versus the fear of always feeling like you're failing. And I I did not have that perspective then. It took me took me much longer, and I would say only even the past couple of years have I really started to embrace that. And it's a much more fluid approach. So for me, when I'm here with you, I am here with you. When I am at work, I really try to focus. And yes, if there's an emergency, I'm available. And of course, I can jump right into it. But I really try to think about it more as a shifting between things versus trying to strive for balance. It's just not doesn't work for me. So it's the same with this FOMO and COMO and then this idea of like a more fluid approach. And it's it set me free. I love that. That is tremendous advice. And I think that what I'm hearing is there's so much power in being ruthless about how you prioritize your time and where your time is spent and what really matters and exercising that Como mindset. That's tremendous. Now you mentioned something that is really at the heart of your book and it's this idea that you can do it all, but not at the same time. And that's something that has changed my life. But why was that so central to this book as it relates to this moment in time when a woman becomes a mother? Absolutely. So the first part, you can have it all. I feel like there's a point and so many women I spoke to, including I did a study with college age women, is that we, we, we hinge on this fact, like, can you have it all? Can you not? I'm not saying you have to do it all, but it is possible for whatever that all means to you. And I feel like there's a moment where you, you, you feel it. And for me, it was, 
it was that moment, of that belly reveal where I went, oh my gosh, can I not do it all? It's very interesting to have that question be unanswered. Yes, you can. Like, of course, it's not like someone saying you can't do anything. Then it's not at the same time. And that's that fluid approach. That's the being where you are. That's the como, not the FOMO. And that's really important too, not at the same time. But you also, the concurrent nature means that there's going to be overlap. Well, sometimes you are. And I think for me, instead of always feeling like you're trying to do all of it, sometimes you're just doing one thing really well. And sometimes you actually are doing all of it. You've got to enjoy that moment because it's going to be fleeting. But the last Completely. part that is really, really important is and not alone. So I've heard several times, you know, you can do it all, not at the same time, which is, is so, I, I agree with you. It's like a, it, it's a release, but the not alone. And I feel like for me, the book was so important because I felt like women and we carry, we especially carry this burden of, can I do it all? Can I do it at the same time? But number one, yes, yes, but not alone. What are the systems that we need in place? What are the structures you need around you? Who do you need as part of your board of directors? And by the way, you're not alone because you're in this community of support with these amazing other fellow people that are rooting for you. And also you add tremendous value to them too. And for me, that not alone part has been so crucial, especially in writing the book. Yeah. It's a reminder. I mean, especially an antidote to this whole concept of superwoman syndrome. Yes. You know, we came up through the eighties and nineties watching, you know, these superhuman women who do it all, you know, portrayed in the media. And it's just a huge farce as we know. So I think it's just so important to really emphasize the importance of community during this time. Your point about not being superwomen. For me, every time someone tells me, like, you're a superwoman, I, I am very self-deprecating and I tell them something ridiculous that happened that I messed up on. And it's the balance of both because, yes, we've had to, you know, and the women that have come before us have had to be superwomen to prove this point that, you know, yes, you can do it all. Don't doubt me. But on the other hand, I think that it's the balance between showing that vulnerability and, you know, they fought so hard so that we can have that vulnerability part too. So we, it's our responsibility to not perpetuate it, but in fact, to be like supporting of, of that reality. Absolutely. And I think also burnout has become a very big piece of the conversation and we've seen what happens and there is no shame in leaning into your community and accepting help and accepting support or asking for it if you need it, which is tremendous. So why do you call the book Carrie Strong? So I, you know, it's interesting for me when I talk about how women feel, it felt like something on our shoulders. So the carrying and, you know, there's this saying, just because you carry something well, doesn't mean it isn't heavy. And for me, that was motherhood. It's like, yes, you know, she's carrying this responsibility. So there's this responsibility and it's like a down feeling, right? It's still going to be there. Like you still are feeling this, you know, the perception, the responsibility, the being reliable for, you know, your family and providing and yourself. So you're carrying it. But just because you're carrying something well doesn't mean it isn't heavy. So the strength for me behind that was what can this book do to recognize what you're carrying, but also help to lift some of it off? And that is for me the number one goal was recognition, but also how can I help? 
And not just me, but how can I create a community, a groundswell of support, an unburdening of recognizing some of those things even just kind of starts to help all of us lift up our shoulders just a little bit on this topic. Looking back on your experience, my sense is is that based on the book, you share so much of what you wish you knew. For our listeners right now, though, thinking about your journey and the book, what really pops out to you as one of the biggest takeaways that you wish you knew at the get-go? I feel like it's interesting. You know, we just talked about the, the not alone part. But for me, as I went through and I would hear the stories of other women, and exactly as we were talking before about um, their, their hindsight is your foresight. And we only lift up communities and these opportunities when we share. So the not alone comes from the system of support you need around you for today, but the sharing and the the unburdening comes from also just the stories that we share with each other, which is why, you know, I love this podcast, why I love talking about these very personal moments. And it's really tough to do. I mean, I can do it now on some of those moments, but I can't, like if we went too far, I don't know if I, I, I had trouble recording the audiobook. I like cried through it, um, the recordings number one through six. And eventually it, they were like, you want to take a minute? But it's tough. But when we do, we're yeah. not just doing it for ourselves, but we're actually doing it because we're, this sharing is actually creating a community of support as well. So I think for me, that's what helped me to, to write the book. Um, over the past three years, between 11 o'clock at night and two o'clock in the morning. But because I wanted to to create that as a resource for women to feel less alone, but also to fuel the future. Absolutely. I mean, the work that you have done is tremendous. I know that you initiated a handful of different studies. You tapped a multitude of incredible experts and thought leaders and real women for their stories that are sprinkled throughout this book. So I cannot emphasize this enough of what an important read this is for anyone who's either currently navigating the throes of career and pregnancy or even postpartum or just thinking about it and the overwhelm. It is a gift that you are giving women and mothers-to-be. So thank you so much for being here today. I am a huge admirer of you and your career. So thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me and everything that you're creating with Parallel. It's fantastic. Thanks for tuning in to Parallel Lives. Stay tuned for new episodes and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like today's show, we'd be forever grateful if you take a moment to rate and review us. You can find us online at parallelhealth.com. That's P-E-R-E-L-E-L health.com or on Instagram at Parallel Health. I'm Alex Taylor and you've been listening to Parallel Lives. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today's episode was made possible by the company that I co-founded alongside my co-founder, Tori, and Dr. Viotti, which is Parallel. We are the first and only OBGYN-founded women's vitamin, offering targeted nutrition for each unique stage of the motherhood journey, from preconception through each individual trimester, because mom and baby need different nutrients to support them, and into postpartum. We created this product because we felt completely failed by the available options on the market. There was an opportunity to create more targeted nutrition for each of these stages. And so we turned to the nation's top doctors 
to formulate these products. So each product is meticulously formulated by our founding team of world-class doctors, which includes notable OBGYNs, widely published maternal fetal medicine doctors, award-winning endocrinologists in partnership with functional medicine doctors, naturopaths, nutritionists, and even doulas. It was so important for us to create a product that both Eastern and Western medicine doctors could agree on. I personally take them on multi-pack. I have a little one who's two years old and four years old, but we have incredible products for all the different stages. So for all of you listening, we are going to offer you a very exclusive 20% off your first month with code PODCAST20. So head to parallelhealth.com. That's P-E-R-E-L-E-L health.com and use that code.